great to be with you all today. If you have your Bible, you want to flip open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be there in just a minute. But before we get into this morning's text, I've got a question for you all. It's a simple question. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I friends with these people? I found myself asking that question a few times in my life. Why am I friends with these people? We'll get back to that in just a moment. But relationships are difficult, right? Maybe that's what stemmed that thought in your mind. Why am I friends with these people? Relationships can be so difficult. They can be so complicated. There's so many things I feel like are warring against our relationships. This whole series made simple. You know, we're continuing on once again today, and we're looking at gospel-centered principles for relationships because, quite frankly, they're difficult at times. And so when I look around, not just in my relationships, but on a grand level, on a, on a bigger stage, I see that there's a lot of brokenness all around us. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of uh, brokenness. There's... No matter what the stage, if it's internationally, you look around, there's, there's conflicts everywhere. If it's nationally here, like within our own nation, it just seems like there are so many conflicts, there, whether it be through politics or, or whatever it is, it just seems so polarized. There's so much division, so many big social issues. There just seems to be such, uh, such division and brokenness, no matter what you're, what, no matter what you're talking about. But then when you bring it, like I said, from the, from the macro, from the large stage, from, from the national and world uh, stage to um, our own personal lives, down to the micro, it feels like there is so much working against us in our relationships. We see it in the way we struggle with connections. We see it in the way that we struggle with, with maintaining personal connections with, with folks. We see it in the way that we um, struggle with vulnerability. Our relationships are rather complicated. Brokenness and division seem to be everywhere. See, the, the division and the strife that we experience in the micro, in the near, in, in our own personal relationships, uh, it is the result of the fall. It is the result of sin entering the world through Adam and Eve so long ago. See, when sin entered the world, there was this division. There was this separation that happened between the creator and its creation. Right? They rejected God. They rejected, they turned their back on the commands of God. And there was separation that entered the world. There was this division that entered the world. And division is at the core of the enemy. It's central to the work of the enemy. He schemes and he works to drive God's church and God's people off of mission. Off of their central purpose. He does it, from my experience, by distracting us and dividing us. If the enemy can distract us and, and divide us through various forms, he can keep us as God's people, as those that he's called to himself. He can keep us off of our mission, off of our central purpose, man, and our relationships, all of them, every single one of them has a deep and godly purpose. He likes to distract us. He likes to keep our eyes 
off of heavenly things and keep our eyes fixed on the things of this world, down on, on the things of this earth. The temporal cares. Colossians chapter 3 tells us all about it. He likes to divide us as well, to fraction and split the body of Christ. When I look at the church of God and I see all these denominations and all of these uh, different church traditions and church cultures, and I go, man, how do we get here? And some of it has been over right things. Some of it has been over core doctrinal issues that, that maybe are right to stand up for and separate on. But when I look around, I see that there's probably a lot of petty things that the holy church of God has divided over down through the years. All this discord, all of the effects of sin, creeping in, warring against us, keeping us from living out our true purpose and realizing the true purpose of every relationship we have to be messengers of reconciliation. So again, this morning, I want to ask you that question. Why are you friends with these people? And I hope it's to God's glory. Once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, excuse me, trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you as God's church, as your church, as your people. God, those that you're drawing to yourself. God, we humbly come before your word today. We humbly come to your word today, God, asking your Holy Spirit to not just motivate us, to not just motivate us to be better people, but God, to change us and transform us. God, that we would be new creations, that we might be new creatures, and that we might walk and live in whatever context, God, that you've blessed us with, whatever relationships that you've blessed us with, God, that we might live to the glory of your name alone. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Verse 14 once again says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So when we interact in our relational contexts, when we interact, what controls us? What motivates us? What drives us? What steers us? Before Christ, I can honestly and uh, with conviction say it was me. It was me that controlled me. It was me and my selfishness that steered all of my relationships. It was what I could get out of the relationship. It was what, how I felt about the relationship. Sometimes it was about me feeling needed and feeling wanted in that relationship. Sometimes in our relationships, what steers us is fear. Fear maybe of not opening up, not being vulnerable, because maybe we've been stung and maybe we've been hurt in the past. And so a big motivator, a big driver, a big controller in that relationship might be fear. I can't open up because I've been hurt and I've been broken so much in the past. Our relationships, there is a great motivator. If we are in Christ, that amazing love that he has shown for us needs to control us. It needs to be forever on our mind and forever on our heart and forever on our lips as the great controller of everything we do. Christ's amazing love for us. Sometimes I don't think it's so amazing because I forget just how wretched I am. I forget just how sinful and offensive my flesh is. You know, he put himself on that cross. He died in our place, in our place for our sin. Our verse today, the verse 21 says he knew no sin, right? He became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God, the right, the perfection without one bit of fault because of Christ in his love. The love of Christ needs to be the great controller of our lives. The love of Christ controlling and, and motivating, not just motivating. That's that the word is so weak. Like the one, the thing that just so fills us with passion and compassion that it drives us to live in these relational contexts to the glory of God alone. Ephesians chapter two, one of my favorite passages talks about how we were dead in our transgressions, that we were children of wrath. But yet God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive together with Christ. Because of his great love for us, man, it wasn't in us. It wasn't because of us. It's by grace, by his grace that we have been saved. And that amazing love needs to be the great motivator, the great controller of every relationship we have. It's hard. It's so hard because my flesh still rises up and still wants to be in control. And so then all my relationships get distorted and perverted. And, 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 and instead of it being about Christ, it's about me and what I get out of it. But because of his great work, because of his great love for us, because we have died in our flesh and now we live according to and empowered by the spirit of God. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. 
Verse 16 says that in our text today, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Right? Our relationships have a different, deeper God-given purpose now. The way we regard people is no longer in that fleshly state. Right? Even as our text says, we once regarded Christ that way. Christ was not the savior of our soul at one point in our life. He may have been this God figure at best. He may have been this great prophet or this great model, this great example that we should follow. But then something happened in our lives where the Holy Spirit took this beautiful word and made it alive to our hearts where the gospel was no longer foolishness to us and it became life to our soul. And then all of a sudden, we don't regard Christ in that way any longer. We regard him as our loving, holy Savior who put himself on a cross for us. And then all of a sudden, now, because of that great love, we regard no one according to the flesh. All of our relationships, these complex, convoluted, full of discord We now regard it according to the spirit, the spirit of God that is at work in us with a mission and a purpose in mind to bring the gospel of reconciliation. See, we live for his sake because he died for our sake. Verse 15 says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This morning, I would ask you, Take some inventory really quickly. Like, think about your life, in your daily life, the living out of your life. So many times we say, like, are you living for Christ? Like, that gets, like, really kind of out there and ethereal. But, like, in the daily living of your life, do you live for Christ? What does it look like for us to live for Christ, to honor Christ, to exalt Christ, to magnify God, less of me, more of Jesus, what does it look like to be compelled and controlled by Christ's love? Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. See, we are to live our living for Christ. All the living of our life needs to be through that compulsion, not the, uh, the compellingness, the, uh, the, the drive, the control of the love of Jesus. That we would engage this purpose and this mission that we have. And man, I'm telling you, I know it's difficult. Some of you might be going, Kev, this is hard. I have, you know, I have this job. I have these small kids. I have this, like my context feels hard right now to live like this. To live with this mindset, to live compelled by the love of God to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Like I understand it's, 
It's tough. It's difficult. We can't do it without the spirit of God active in alive in our life. If we are trying to do this at all in the flesh, we will not. We cannot. But because of his spirit alive in us, he has made us new creation, new creatures. That we might walk and move according to the spirit for the glory of God. One thing that I noticed in scripture uh, a while ago, and I may have mentioned it, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it here. When Jesus called his disciples, it wasn't come follow me and I'm going to save your soul. It was come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He calls, he calls us to himself, but it's not just for yourself. He calls us to himself so that we might be ministers of a gospel and a gospel of reconciliation with all the discord in this world, man, the gospel of reconciliation of bringing rightness and harmony to relationships is going to stick out like a sore thumb. It's going to be awesome. But we have to understand that when we've been called to Jesus, we've been called to mission. We've been called to be ministers. One of my favorite verses is first Corinthians chapter six, and it's actually talking about, Uh, Sexual immorality, actually, in the context of it. But it talks about how your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right? Like, my life has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So now I regard no one according to my flesh, but by the Spirit of God. This life lived to the glory of Christ. I was thinking about it this last week. What does that mean? Like, my life is not my own. Like, you've been given lots. I've been given lots of stuff. Like, material things, blessings, finances, all of that stuff. But I've been also given um, some great talents, some great gifts. I've been given some great um, personality quirks. Many of you love, I'm sure. I've been given things. But they're not for me. It's fun. Some of it's fun. Some of it I enjoy, but they're not for me. They are tools to be used by God. Okay. So you've been given stuff. You've been given things. Some of it's personality, some of it's finances, resources, whatever it might be. But then you've also been given something really beautiful as well. And that's called relationships. (laughs) You have relationships, various roles, various contexts. And so some of you are parents, some of you are spouses, some of you are grandparents, some of you are co-workers some of you are aunts and uncles um pick your context right and so here's the thing as those who have been called by jesus we have these tools the stuff that we have personality finances resources and we have these contexts that we have and that's wherever you find yourself man some of you it's in a cubicle that you hate being in Maybe you're in a job that you're like, um, I don't know why I'm here. I hate this place. Pushing papers all day is driving me nuts. I'm sorry, but it might be where God has you for the glory of his name. Might be. If that's where you are, I'm going to say yes. Wherever you are, whatever your context, whatever your, your thing is, you are there as a minister of Jesus. And so many of us, because we hate being there, miss the beautiful opportunities to take the tools 
the resources, personality, quirks, traits, money, finances, whatever those tools are, and to bring them into our context to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring reconciliation to lost and hurting children who are in need of their loving Heavenly Father. My prayer this morning is that we would experience the fullness of Christ's love. That we would experience the fullness of Christ's love, and that would control us to see all of our ministry opportunities in front of us, all of the relationships that we have, that we would see them having great transcendent purpose, a bigger purpose than just what I get out of this relationship, a purpose of Christ being revealed in the glory of God. Our text, once again, first, uh, excuse me, second Corinthians chapter five, starting verse 18. This time it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And the whole idea of ambassador, we don't use that word very much unless you're in politics or you follow politics. You probably don't use that word on a regular basis. An ambassador, generally speaking, is a, is a person, a respected official that is acting as a representative of a nation. Sent into a foreign land, the ambassador's role is to reflect the official position of the sovereign body that gave him the authority. Finish this phrase for me. There's no place like, thank you, nice job, everybody gets an A. There's no place like home. Have you ever been on a long trip and you walk in the door and you drop your bags and you just go, Sorry, that was bad. Don't do that into a mic. That big sigh, that exhale of, oh my goodness, there is no place like home. I remember a few years ago, um, it was the holiday season, and holiday season with church stuff gets a little busy and a little crazy, and lots of late night at church. And I remember I walked in the door, and the Christmas tree was aglow. The house was warm. It was cold outside. The kids were in bed. And I sat on the couch, and I just went, man, there really is no place like home. Coming home. The idea of just feeling so comfortable and settled is such, like, it's one of the great motivators of our life, I think. To have that, that feeling, that, 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 um, that, that, just that settledness in our hearts, I think, is one of the the driving factors to our soul. I hate feeling unsettled. You ever feel unsettled? You ever like feel like you're living out of a suitcase for an extended period of time? You're just like, Oh, I'm not like, ah, this is so inconvenient. And it's like, we long for that settled feeling, don't we? But when I look at our text today, and when I look at other texts throughout scripture, we're not from here. We are sent on a mission with a duty by a sovereign land and that has given us some sort of authority and mission to come into a foreign land with a goal and a purpose at heart. And so when I think of this unsettled feeling, like, have you, have you ever felt that way? 
Maybe I'm supposed to live with that feeling constantly. But yet my, my flesh longs for that settledness. My, my flesh longs for me to put some roots down in this place. But yet it is clear when I look at scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urged you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Some versions say aliens and strangers. We're just passing through. It's a whole idea of like we're living in tents and, and just like having daily bread, like enough for today kind of stuff. Yet I feel like this great hole at my flesh is to be settled and comfortable here. Heck, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, as we mentioned earlier, like there was a curse that came with it, that, that there would be amazing amounts of toil and hardship in this life. Like that came down on Adam. Like you're going to work and toil in this life from here on out. And so we can expect that. That that unsettled feeling we have, that tension that we feel between material stuff and putting down roots in this land, like that versus like our calling as, as followers and believers and ambassadors for Jesus, that tension should be there and should feel real. But we can have full confidence. We can have a full settled feeling in who we are in Christ and what our mission is. But half the time, we're not living in that mission. We got one foot in the world and we got one foot over here going, I don't know where I fit. We regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. But we live to the glory of God by the spirit of God. That dissonance we feel being a result of sin in the world. We feel it deeply and we feel it in those relationships, but we're not from here. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter three, verse 17 says, brothers join in me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we awaited a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even, even to subject all things to himself. This world has a set of values and a set of loves and a set of pursuits that are very, very different from those who belong to Christ. The flesh and all of its passions and the spirit and all of its passions, man, they're in opposition to each other. They are not congruent. Galatians 5.17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposite. They are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, for those of us in Christ, man, we're no longer led by the desires of the flesh. From here on out, we don't value those things. We don't regard those things that are in the flesh, but we are new creatures. We belong wholly and totally and completely to Christ and his mission and for his glory, period. Last night I was laying in bed and I jotted this down on my phone really quickly. I don't Maybe it's from God. Like seeds are planted in the ground 
And what grows out of that seed is a beautiful plant. Say like a kernel of corn, you plant it in the ground. And what happens? It grows. Water it, cultivate it, whatever it is, you take care of it, it grows and it matures. And when it grows and matures, what happens? There's more corn. Sowing and reaping. There's there's a simple illustration of sowing and reaping. And for many of you, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been sown into your life. The seeds of the gospel have been planted in your life and it is growing and flourishing. But that gospel is not just for you. Now it needs to multiply. Now it needs to be sown into others and then multiplied in others. And for us, man, I feel like we just, we hold on to all this stuff just for ourselves, man. Me and my little Jesus, we got our thing. It's cool. But man, if you've been called to Christ, you've been called to mission. You've been called to Christ. You've been called as a minister of the gospel of reconciliation. We have a greater purpose as ambassadors, carrying not just in words, but lives that exhibit, put on display the message of reconciliation. The root of all the discord we feel. The root of all the division we feel made right by Jesus Christ because he eradicated sin, his work on the cross. Verse 17 of our text again says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise God. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We're new creations, no longer regarding things to the flesh. And all this is from God. All this has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. You know, the idea of reconciliation, get down just down to the bare bones of the word. It means to restore friendly relations between, to make consistent with another, to settle a disagreement, to bring things back into harmony and unity. And I look at Christ's work on the cross, man, there was this great divide, this great chasm. Our relationship was broken. And Jesus was the bridge. It takes me to that kind of that cheesy illustration. I think I may have pointed to this before where you got like, you got the cliffs, the two cliffs, right? And there's this big divide. And then all of a sudden the cross comes plopping down in the middle, creates that bridge across. It's cheesy, but I find it way more applicable now that I'm getting old and cheesy myself. The cross of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, that reconciliation brings me and my father back into harmony, back into relationship. And somehow, some way, he's entrusted that to me to bring this message of harmony and unity into every context I can, every relationship that I can with whatever tools, how uh dramatic you think you are they are or how inadequate you think those tools are whatever he's given you are meant to be lived to the glory of god for the reconciliation of the world back to their loving and heavenly father a lot of times when we think of this stuff you can think this is like next level christianity this is reserved for like pastors and 
uh, elders. This is like a Phil Martinez type stuff here where like it's, sorry, Phil, I love, I love doing that to you. It's next level stuff. Those real spiritual people. But this is essential Christianity stuff. This is like, this is like essential to our call as believers is the call to be ministers. You are a minister just like me. I just have to do it on a Sunday morning with a mic on my head. You are a minister. You're not a congregant. You are a minister, not a churchgoer. You have a ministry. And it's a ministry that I could never do. You have a context to bring the message of Jesus Christ into that I could never do. Do you see it that way? Do you look at your context? Do you look at your relationships? Do you see the awesome and beautiful opportunity to take the awesome and beautiful message of Jesus to it? central to our purpose and central to the purpose of every every relationship we have. Some of you might be thinking, Kev, you don't understand. I got some really difficult people around me right now. I've got some really broken relationships around me right now, Kev. You don't understand how they hurt me. You don't understand what they've done. You don't understand what they owe me. Kev, you just don't get it. I don't. You're right. I don't know exactly what you've gone through. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't understand some of the relationship discord that you're experiencing right now. Maybe some hurt and maybe some pain, but I still look at it this way. My sin was really offensive to Jesus. My sin was amazingly gross to a holy God. Yet he loved me so much that he reached past it. And I know you might not be right there right now, but my prayer for you this morning is that the God of the universe and Jesus Christ would heal your heart this morning, that you would embrace your calling as a minister of reconciliation. And that in that hurt and in that pain and in that offense that you would see Jesus and go, you know what? I can still love and I can still bring this message of hope and reconciliation even to those who have hurt me so badly. Jesus. Jesus and his amazing love controlling us, steering us, compelling us, even through our hurt, even through our pride, even through our flesh, that we might be reconcilers, bringing that message of reconciliation. We must not let anything get in the way of our purpose of magnifying Christ. Being ministers of reconciliation to bring unity and harmony, both with them, but then also, of course, with their loving and heavenly father.